Emily Harrington is free climbing El Capitan, the rock of all rocks. It's every rock climber's Valhalla. She's been climbing for 14 hours, and this time she wants to reach the top in a single day. And I had almost reached the point where I had failed the previous year when I had come like really, really close. It was really hot and she was tired. And so I set off to like try to finish this pitch, try to try to get it over with. And um, I ended up slipping. Next thing she knows, she's hit a rock. Immediately went like things went black, saw stars. And then I just felt all the blood pouring down my face. And I was just like, oh, no, not again. Like, I can't believe this is happening again. It was like one of those really low moments where I was sort of debating quitting. I'm Rob Pope. I'm from Red Bull. This is How to Be Superhuman, Series 2. In November 2020, Emily Harrington became the first woman to free climb the Golden Gate route of El Capitan in under 24 hours. It's a 3,000-foot granite wall in Yosemite National Park, California. It's hard to describe the enormity and mystique of El Cap as it's known, but when you're standing at its base, boy, do you feel it. You're looking up at an endless behemoth of smooth granite. It's not the sort of thing most people could even imagine trying to conquer. And if you've ever been to a climbing gym, you'll know it's the little ledges that you hook onto that make it possible to clamber up. El Capitan is pretty much a sheer drop. And that's why it's so hard to climb, especially when you're free climbing like Emily. Free climbing means you're only using your hands and feet. You do have a safety rope, but it's only there to stop you falling to your death, not to give you a leg up. Only three people had climbed the Golden Gate route, a notoriously beastly path in under 24 hours. And Emily wanted to be the first woman. Emily actually grew up in the climbing mecca of the USA, Boulder, Colorado. And she started climbing out of the same motivation that fuels her now, conquering her fear. I remember climbing like a little artificial wall with my cousins. I grew up with my cousins. I was super, super competitive with them. They, uh, they're the same age as me. They're both boys. And I always just wanted to beat them at whatever we were doing. But then I remember when I actually climbed the wall and got to the top, I had this like crazy mix of being really afraid, but also feeling sort of like really empowered by that like process of feeling afraid and, and still doing it. And then after that, it was all I wanted to do. I told my dad, I was like, that's all I want to do. I want to climb. She started going to the local climbing gym, joined the junior team. And I started doing competitions. Uh, I had a couple coaches that took me outdoors on Real Rock. And that's really where it began. She got hooked on that feeling. The sense of fear and empowerment she experienced the very first time she scaled a wall. 
I learn a lot as a person by sort of overcoming those fears and kind of, it's almost like I push that line of comfort further and further out little by little and just become a better, a better athlete as time goes on. Like that line just keeps moving. And so I'm sort of always like seeking that line in a way. With every climb, that line kept on shifting further and further away. I guess that's when an ordinary person becomes superhuman. You just keep pushing and pushing yourself beyond what you think are your limits. I've learned a lot about, I mean, it sounds a little bit silly, but like just being on expedition, it's a skill. Understanding how to suffer, understanding how to be on a long trip and live in a tent for really long periods of time, understanding how to be uncomfortable, understanding how your body works at altitude and and, and recognizing that you're just not going to feel good. One of those long expeditions is where she met a partner, the mountaineer Adrian Ballinger. And eventually she moved to California to be with him. Now in the Golden State, most of the big shot mountains are made of granite. Each rock material requires a different style of climbing. And Emily was used to climbing on limestone. But now she was going to have to learn a different ball game. So I started learning how to climb on granite. I really had never done it before. And it was a really tough learning curve initially. It's very different. It was very humbling. It was very scary. I learned how to trad climb and learned how to place gear, all of these things. The climbing world is very, very technical. Emily had previously done what's known as sport climbing, where you clip into bolts along a predetermined route. When she started on granite, she had to do what's called trad, or traditional climbing, where you place your own gear and there's no fixed route. You have to forge your own way. It's the ultimate mental and physical challenge rolled into one, like a game of chess with your hands and feet. Emily picked up trad climbing pretty quickly. And then I started to set my sights on El Cap. El Capitan. The most badass, iconic rock face in the world. And it's almost like hard to understand how big it is when you're standing under it. It's just so different from anything even I had ever seen before in climbing. It's just that much bigger and that much steeper. And the thing that makes it truly special is it's glacier polished, so it's very, very smooth. And there's not that many features on it. Features are like little ledges or nooks, basically anything you can apply a bit of leverage to. And so that makes the climbing on it extremely difficult. It makes me feel funny in the pit of my stomach just looking at the pictures of El Cap from above. Never mind what it'd feel like when you're on the wall. This thing's vertical, remember. You look up, you see the sky. You look down, you see pain. You know, in the climbing world, it's just, it it sort of eclipses Everest in a way because it, it does have this allure of being so difficult and requiring like a very diverse set of skills in order to in order to ascend it like incredible strength and i don't just mean big guns imagine doing a hundred chin-ups using only your fingertips 
You'd need flexibility and balance that a ballerina would be proud of. But maybe most importantly is the ability to make tough decisions under pressure. In 2015, Emily attempted to climb El Capitan for the first time. And she chose what many in the know say is the hardest path up there, the Golden Gate route. It follows 36 separate pitches up the south face of El Cap. It was going to take her at least a few days. And if you're planning on spending more than a day on the wall, you need a lot of things. You need like a place to sleep. You need food. You need water. Um, So you're kind of like bringing everything up with you. It's like a vertical camping trip. You have to hook your tent onto the sheer wall. So you haven't got anything solid underneath you when you're sleeping. And every morning, you got to pack it up and climb with it. And so you're moving slowly. You are dealing with a lot of logistics. You're dealing with a lot of gear. You're always doing something. Everything is exhausting. Emily got to the summit in six days. And that was a really cool experience. And at the time, it was like the proudest achievement in my climbing. But I started to think a little bit bigger after that and started to think about possibly free climbing El Cap in a, in a single day. A single day. That's just nuts. Doing it in six had taken a lot out of her. And I always think a good barometer of how hard something is is how many people have done it. Only three people had climbed the Golden Gate route in under 24 hours before. And they were all men. I like the idea of of challenging yourself in a way where you have to be mentally and physically engaged for a long period of time. And so to me, free climbing El Cap in a day was that perfect challenge as a rock climber. In 1994, her hero, Lynn Hill, became the first woman to climb El Cap in under 24 hours. Emily wanted to follow in her giant footsteps, but not that closely. Freerider had been conquered. She wanted to take on Golden Gate. So after I free climbed El Cap over six days, I started to think like, oh, I'm a pretty good endurance athlete at this point, And I think this is something that I could do. I think it's something that would be right up my alley. She started training, and this basically meant doing sections of the route over and over again, so that eventually she could do what she did in six days in one. Rehearsing the moves, trying the sections over again, like being more, being better on every section, because instead of having like food and water and all the things to like sleep and spend a lot of time, I had to like be more efficient on every section. Emily knew that if she was to get up El Cap in 24 hours, that she had to be perfect. She might have a safety rope, but on a sheer rock face, you can't afford to leave things to chance like that. She had to ensure a technique was spot on to avoid entering the red zone. In 2019, she was finally ready to climb El Cap in a day. The first time, she started out strong, But then a storm came along and she had to stop and come down. Then she tried again. 
and reached a mere 350 feet from the top. And then I just couldn't keep going. It was like the craziest feeling of hitting a wall I've ever experienced. Um, you know, I think as endurance athletes, like it, it got to the point where like I just couldn't, I just, no matter how much my brain and body wanted to continue, I just couldn't keep going. Physically, I just completely crumbled. But I came like literally, I was 300 feet from the top, but the difficult climbing, I had maybe 20 feet left. That was oh, it. If no. I completed that section, then I would have made it. Once you get close, that's when you start to want it. Um, and that's when it gets scary. When you realize you can actually do something, that's when like all the mental side sets in. And now Emily had gotten so close. So she went home, rested for a couple of weeks, and then soon after, she tried again. I went into it, like, kind of tired. Um, it was a really cold morning. I started climbing. You start climbing really early in the morning, but it was much colder than it had ever been before. It was, uh, my hands and feet were really numb. And I was moving really fast. I was trying to be, like, really quick and confident and efficient. It's actually pretty difficult for Emily to be super fast because she's short for a climber at five foot two. And most climbers are gangly with big feet. And I think I was becoming too comfortable up there. So I wasn't placing very much gear. I was, we call it running it out. Like I was climbing really long distances before placing gear. I remember just sort of like stepping up on this one section that tends to be a little insecure, but I'd done it so many times at that point that it just like was moving. And I just remember my left foot slipping and I was in the air. She fell 50 feet before her head hit a jagged ledge. She was knocked out and concussed and taken to the hospital. The doctors were worried about potential spinal injury. It was a serious accident, but she got very lucky. I ended up walking out of the hospital that day, like on my own. And uh, definitely had a lot of injuries, but pretty superficial. So nothing long term. But that was the end of my season. <laughs> nothing nothing shocky or anything like that, because I, I, could, I could almost imagine you walking out of hospital, but... I'm not sure whether that was a very good idea. Like, how do you start recovering from the mental scars? You know, you've taken a fairly big knock there. Yeah. So, you know, I think for me, I, I do a lot of um, work on like sort of analyzing my fears and, and why they exist and why they're there. And I think the conclusion I came to, you know, this wasn't an accident where I was climbing a mountain and a random like... Uh, uh, objective hazard came like an avalanche or something that was unforeseen. Like I could, I could actually very clearly line up the things that had gone wrong. And it all comes back to me and my decision-making. And it all comes back to the decisions that I made. The first decision was to be really slack with the rope. Literally. If the rope had been shorter, she wouldn't have fallen so far and probably wouldn't have hit one of the ledges that stick out at the base of the mountain. The second was not to wear a helmet. And a lot of free climbers don't, though, because it makes the ascent more difficult. She didn't take enough precautions. 
it was almost like I knew what I had done wrong and I knew how to prevent it in the future. And therefore I could mentally recover from it because it was proactive. It was like, oh, okay. I got away with one. I got really lucky. Next time I'm going to make a different decision and I'm going to be more conservative and I'm going to fix it. I can see the Rocky montage preceding your, uh, <laughs> your your return to Yosemite, you know, so that that'll be a pretty good one, I imagine. But like when you, you said you're able to rationalize your fears, but when you're suddenly faced, not necessarily without cap, but something of that ilk again, do you feel fear? Yeah, I feel fear all the time. I think that a lot of people think that athletes like myself don't feel fear, that we have some sort of like glitch in our brains that doesn't allow us to to feel this emotion. I think that's a little bit unrealistic. I'm afraid all the time. I just have a really good relationship with like sort of allowing it to happen, not really like shaming myself for it, not feeling bad about it. I used to beat myself up so much when I was younger, when I got afraid and just like go to battle with all of my like demons and and just kind of like feel bad and feel like I wasn't good and and all these things. And now I've sort of recognized that my fear can actually be a really interesting way of being strong Mm. if I sort of allow it to exist. What I like to do is, is like, I tell people that I actually like feel the fear. Like if I'm feeling afraid of something, I I let it exist there. Like I I let it be very prevalent in my my consciousness. And I sort of ask myself like, why is the fear there? Like, am I in danger? Or is it more that I'm afraid of exposure because I haven't, you know, been in this situation in a long time? And if that's the case, then like, how can I sort of like push the envelope little by little, like not like launch into the zone of discomfort really dramatically and like feel traumatized and never want to go back. How can I sort of like take baby steps to push that level slowly and so that the comfort just keeps growing little by little by little. I have a little mantra that I like to say when I'm when I'm climbing and that is slow is smooth and smooth is fast. So just slow down. really think about what's in front of me, like the individual move in front of me and not the 3,000 feet of granite that I still have yet to climb. But that said, it is a, it's a constant balancing act and it's a constant process. And I think that that is, at, you know, going back to the beginning of this conversation, that's part of why I do it. Mm. Um, I don't want to eliminate risk and danger from what I do every day. And that's why I climb in a lot of ways. Now, it's a well-established theory in sports psychology that you've got to have an element of risk, jeopardy, excitement even for the top sports person to perform at the very best. Now, I imagine being on something like El Cap, though, this would overwhelm the vast majority of people's headspace. And Emily's there making these life and death decisions all the time with a massive elephant tapping her on the shoulder and telling her how far that she's got to fall. Maybe the ability to set that to one side and, you know, just crack on. Maybe that could be the thing that makes us superhuman. On November the 4th, 2020, Emily Harrington went back to El Capitan. 
one last time. Every season I go back and I am absolutely terrified and I'm like, I don't know how I did this. Like I, I, I struggle to like trust my gear. I struggle to trust the rope. Like the whole thing is really foreign to me. She started at 1.35 a.m. Why in the dead of night? Well, it's a south-facing wall, so it gets a lot of sun, and she wanted to get to the upper, difficult cruxes before the midday glare. But it meant that Emily had to use a head torch, and that presented its own challenge. You know, the wall it looks different than it does in the daytime. There's, like, shadows in places that you're not used to. She's practiced on every nook and cranny of this beast for five years now. And yet every time it felt different and exciting. And it's what kept her coming back. This time, she was more determined than ever to ascend the Golden Gate route in under 24 hours and make history. Alongside her was her climbing partner, the famous Alex Honnold, who was going to hold her safety rope. You know, for, for several hours, it was just me and Alex climbing together, which was really fun. Um, I felt I felt relaxed, I felt good, I felt happy and comfortable. And the day was starting off pretty, pretty perfectly, I would say. I was kind of nailing it. <laughs> but then, you know, as it as it happens, 3,200 feet of rock, there's a lot of room for, for error. There's a lot of things that can go wrong. There's certainly a lot of room for error, but also a lot of room for innovation. She'd always struggled with a section of the route called the Monster Offwit, a crack high on the wall. It's got the name Monster for a reason. It's bloody hard to climb. And the way that a lot of people climb it is they can um, sort of wedge their heel and their toe on the outside of the crack and ascend, like kind of standing on their foot, um, just like shimmying upwards. Um, but over the years, I've really struggled with the monster off It was so physical for me, especially the first time I climbed it. Remember, Emily's only five foot two and she's got pretty small feet for the climber. My foot wasn't wide enough to like wedge in the crack. It was just sort of like swimming, like it, it was just like dangling. And so I was like relying on my shoulder and my elbow to like kind of move upward. And I ended up wearing a hole in my elbow and I have a lot of scar tissue on my shoulder from that. And I just kept trying to find ways to make that section more efficient. This time she had a crafty idea. The solution that I came up with was actually to wear my climbing shoe on my foot, like laced up and everything. And then, um, wear Alex's climbing shoe over my climbing shoe. So I put my foot inside of like my climbing shoe inside of his climbing shoe and laced it up. And he has like, go figure the perfect foot size for the heel toe cam to make it feel super casual. Um, and it worked absolutely perfectly. 2015, it took me two and a half hours to complete that pitch. In 2020, it took me 30 minutes. That's brilliant. So, uh, that, that's getting a innovation. round of applause from me. <laughs> well, it's, 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 it's like you're some sort of climbing power ranger combining into one ginormous structure. I, I like mean, it. It you know? took a lot of brainstorming from a lot of people to be like, huh, like, I wonder if you could do it this way. Emily was powering up like never before. She felt like this time she'd truly found a groove. At the 14th hour of the climb, she was about halfway there but there was still a lot of rock 
left to conquer. And I had almost reached the point where I had failed the previous year when I had come like really, really close. She was one section below and she was really rushing to get to the place where she'd made a big mistake last time. It was getting really hot now and tiredness set in. And so I set off to like try to finish this pitch, try to try to get it over with. And um, I ended up slipping part of the part way up. Next thing she knows, she's hit a rock. And taking a pretty bad fall, um, a fall that was sort of sideways, sort of awkward. The next thing I know, I had this like total flashback to the year before because I had hit my head and immediately went like things went black, saw stars. And then I just felt like, again, all the blood pouring down my face. And I was just like, oh, no, not again. Like, I can't believe this is happening again. At this point, her partner, Adrian, had switched with Alex to be a climbing partner. He checked her for concussion. She seemed okay. But the shock was real. And I was, you know, after you get hurt like that and you're kind of rattled and you're already tired, I was feeling really drained. It was like one of those really low moments where I was sort of debating quitting. I didn't want to, I was scared. That fear had returned. And I didn't want to go back up there because it had been so unexpected and I didn't really know what had gone wrong. And I was like, I don't want to go back up there. I'm afraid. Like, what if it happens again? All these things. We talked about Emily's incredible headspace, but it seemed like even she'd reached the point where there was no room left. Sometimes even superhumans become human again. Her boyfriend, Adrian, though, was not going to let her give up easily. He said to me, he was like, you're not, you're not that crushed right now. He was like, you owe it to yourself to try again. He was like, you are not that tired. You just had something happen that was unlucky and it's not going to happen again. And you really need to try again. So what I did was I, I didn't, you know, part of me didn't want to keep going because it would have been so much easier just to be done. And just to, to say like, well, I got hurt, I hurt, I got hurt again. So, you know, I couldn't continue. But I told myself that I was going to try one more time. One more time. The last push. The last chance. She took a little break and then she got up and kept climbing. And that's when that, um... I've never experienced it before. The like flow state sort of kicked in and it was like I wasn't in my body. I was just there like sort of floating outside of it, like watching myself climb and and almost wondering why I was still holding on. And it was just autopilot, like I was just moving. And, And it was like I was so present and I'd just been through something pretty traumatic and nothing else mattered. Like the outcome didn't matter. The success or failure didn't matter. I was just like there doing my thing, climbing. And it was this really magical feeling of like not caring about anything else that was happening. Beyond the point where the adrenaline and the risk takes you to your actual peak performance level, you can go down a slippery slope where you start to make mistakes and things inevitably go wrong. But if you can block out that noise and stay at that peak, 
well, you just kind of flow. And with her face still bloodied, she reached the end of the section she had just fallen from. No one could really believe it, but it wasn't game over yet. In front of her was the section she had failed the year before. I still had to do that part. But it didn't make me nervous. It didn't stress me out. There was just this sort of like knowing in my brain, like, this is, this is my day. I, I've got this. She rested a while, waiting for the sun to go down. Then she put her headlight back on and gave it one final go. I was trying so hard and I was fighting so hard, but I knew that there was no way I was coming off. Um... And I completed that section, and then it was just like complete emotional breakdown. Everyone was crying. So many years had gone into this, and she'd finally overcome her Achilles heel of the climb. But she still had 300 foot to go, about three hours. She couldn't get too excited yet. She had to maintain focus. As you know, probably, you know, doing endurance things, like when you're going into that second you know, that the very end when you're so close to being done, you're kind of like, I was like just going in and out of like energy levels. At one point, one minute I'd be super high and psyched and then the next minute I'd like crash. And it was just like kind of a roller coaster ride and you're just constantly trying to like keep it together. <laughs> she kept it together all right. And after 21 hours, 13 minutes and five seconds, Emily Harrington reached the top. You just, you literally like pull, it's like getting out of a pool. You like pull over the edge and like stand up and then you're there. It was super emotional. It was really surreal. It was like super quiet. And I just, uh, I clipped the anchor and I sat down, I took my shoes off and I just like kind of cried a little bit. She became only the fourth person to climb the Golden Gate route in under 24 hours, and the first woman to do so. What an incredible achievement. You know, I like to equate it, when I, when I talk about it in terms of like to people who don't climb, it's like you're trying to run an ultra marathon, but 30 kilometers in, you have to sprint like 100 meters. And you have to do it at a level that's like, not, not like the fastest in the world, but like pretty good. So you have to like figure out how to train for that. It's really interesting and it's really complicated and it's really uh, takes a lot of trial and error and there's no like roadmap to doing it. And, and I had to find my own way and I had to, you know, get creative and do crazy things like like wear Alex's shoes over my shoes and, you know, switch my partners up and take take a level of risk that I didn't previously think I was comfortable with, but really analyze that and. And um, for me, that whole process was super valuable, really worthy. And it, it really was a life dream. It really was something that I had dreamed about for years and years and years and poured so much time and energy into and didn't actually know if it would work out and if I would be successful. So inspiring. If you want to watch Emily doing some absolutely crazy climbing, check out her Instagram at Emily A. Harrington. Some of the stuff she does really makes your jaw drop. Just before we go, remember to tweet us using the hashtag RedBullHowToBeSuperHuman with stories of your own superhuman adventures. I've had some amazing emails about things you guys have been getting up to 
and I'm going to share some of them with you in the next episode, where we're going to meet the first black African woman to scale the heights of Mount Everest. Like it's crash time. Um, you eat, you sleep because you're going to wake up in the middle of the night or in the next few hours and you have your shot. And after camp four, it's death zone. And you understand that if anything happens to you there, nobody's obligated to come and, <laughs> and rescue you.